Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I actually <laughs> broadcasting from my office on campus. That's why I'm on the phone here. But um, I am uh, an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm an amateur bodybuilder. Hey, Robert Fortress Fortney here. I'm a journalist, ex uh, editor at Muscle Mega International, ex competitive bodybuilder, and powerlifter. Hey, this is Phil Stevens. I'm a uh Better powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild and Lift for Hope. Cool. Well, we've got a hodgepodge of stuff here today. We're going to start off with some um, science news, I guess. And it's honestly, there is some stuff in here that might actually uh, raise your ire as a listener or uh, irritate you in some way. Actually, I can find some fault with some of this myself. You know, Phil's got some as well. Let me share this first one with everybody um, before we get to the, the topic of the day. By the way, we're going to actually, in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about lifting and pregnancy. There's actually very little literature on that. We've got a, a really good, uh, thoughtful listener mail about it, uh, and Rocky can get off with that in the second half. But for now, I want to share this. This is simply a paper. This is from last year, and it's fairly new. Uh, and I just wanted to toss I'll have some details about this, and first I'm going to read you the, the findings from this paper. It's, it's on anabolic steroid users, uh, and then we're going to sort of talk about potential holes in this. Um, it's actually called the Anabolic 500 Survey. It's characteristics of male users versus non-users of anabolic androgenic steroids in strength training. Uh, this is done by a pharmacy program in 2011, and um, what they did was they recruited respondents from internet discussion boards. Apparently they went to 38 different fitness and bodybuilding and steroid type websites to get their subject pool. Uh, here's what they found, uh, and let's jump to the results. Most of the anabolic androgenic steroid users were recreational exercises, exercisers who reported using an average of 11 performance enhancing agents in their routine. Compared with non-users, the users were more likely to meet criteria for substance dependence disorder, about 23% of them versus just 11% of the non-users. Uh, the users report, uh, let's see, they're more likely to report a diagnosis of anxiety disorder, 10% versus just 6% for non-users. And cocaine use in the past 12 months, apparently 11% of the users uh, reported cocaine users is only 4.7% of the non-users. And then finally it said that the users also reported a higher history of sexual abuse, about two to three times more sexual abuse. So, Rob, you go on forums quite a bit. Can you see any possible issues with this? <sighs> Let's ask Phil first. If I see any issues with this? Well, yeah. the first issue I see is they went on a freaking Internet forum. That's what most, I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> most people that hang around interformed are tools anyways. So that's what I'm saying. <laughs> We've talked repeatedly in the past about these some of these these fools 
Uh, and, you know, especially some of the stuff that Rob reads to us occasionally from the <laughs> board. I think these guys are yanking the, the researchers' chain. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm not sure if they had any control, uh, you know, over that. If, if, um, by the way, this is IP and colleagues. It's a 2011 August paper, uh, Pharmacotherapy. But maybe there were some controls. And if there were, I apologize. But I think they're getting their chain yanked. I think yeah. these guys are just, you know, just like they grandstand and, you know, they, they're very profane and vulgar sometimes and, you know, and they're purposely trolling. I think these guys were trolling the researchers, frankly. Yeah. Um, it, you see a lot of tough guys behind Internet screens. <laughs> you know, you get them in person and they're going to tell the truth. Um, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't buy it. But. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I've known a lot of um, professional uh, well, not known, clo- you know, been close with them, but I've certainly uh, associated with lots of professional bodybuilders and guys, or even guys who were just sort of mid mid level, uh, mm-hmm. who were obviously on. And yeah. you know, I-, I can't say I've, I've you know personally heard a lot of anecdotes from them about uh, histories of sexual de- abuse and lots of cocaine use. No. Um, you know, I don't know, Rob. What are your thoughts on that? You've actually known. Tons of, of high level. I mean, these guys aren't high level in this study. But so, what are you exactly you asking? Have you heard much about you know tales of uh, that might lead you to believe that users are you know big time cocaine users? Right. Or it's actually yeah. I thought that's right. yeah. It's actually interesting. Yesterday there was a guy at the gym and. Strangely enough, we got into it. I never had met the guy before, and he was asking me about drugs. And at one point, he was like, "Well, do you think guys like in the hot NHL and all these guys are using drugs?" And I thought I was thinking he was talking performance-enhancing drugs. And he was uh, eventually corrected me that he meant just uh, all drugs, including recreational drugs. And I said that, uh, you know, I, I, I think certainly where there's where are, there are sports where the you know the the the, the money set the salaries are higher and you know, there's more, uh, you know, uh, pressure probably because um, of that lifestyle. But if you're talking about, like, do I think it's more of a gateway drug for, like, performing enhancing drugs and those types of things? Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I used to hear that theory all the time, and I used to think to myself, no, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. But you know what? When it comes to athletes, I think that is true, um, especially because yeah I, uh, I think there could be some indoctrination where they become comfortable with pharmaceuticals in general oh absolutely i mean and, once once you've uh, scared yeah once you you know well, you know once you've swallowed like you know pharmaceutical pills and put needles in your deltoids and buttons so forth and you know and then of course there's the other thing where where a lot of you know certainly in bodybuilding i know that you know painkillers and so forth like that but that's that's a, that's even non athletes painkillers are mm-hmm. very much a problem in society generally, but yeah, certainly in sports, I, I know for a fact in bodybuilding and so forth, you know, there was a period where New Bane was kind of like the, um, you know, a decade or so was kind of like the, the thing, because, um, you know, guys would say, yeah, oh, it helps. I'll tell you, I think that one really blurred the line between recreational and uh, and bodybuilding. Cause I, I do actually remember some guys back in the day talking about, oh, yeah. you know, squats, you could do high rep squats, and they don't, right. you know, there's no burning and pain and discomfort. I'm like, mm. You're you're turning me off. I'm yeah. not numb myself to those things, you know. Right. I don't know. But yeah, no, I, I hate to say because, like I said, I used to have a very different opinion, but I do actually believe that to be true now. That, um, 
in, in a lot of instances, certainly, yeah, that like you're saying, Lonnie, the whole kind of introduction into that kind of world of, you know, I mean, you know, whether you agree or disagree that, you know, anabolic steroids and those types of drugs should be illegal or not, the fact remains is that, you know, it, it is illegal and, you know, so you're entering into kind of a world and as opposed to, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, back then it was just the guys in the gym that were selling the stuff, but now most of the guys who are selling anabolic steroids are also the guys who are pushing the coke and the ecstasy and everything else. So, you know, you get yeah. some guy, you know, they, you know, oh, hey, I'll throw in a couple tabs of this and, you know, some E tabs and before you know it, I mean, and let's be realistic, a lot of bodybuilders, especially, are very extreme people. Um, and a lot of them are very disturbed from a, from a standpoint of, you know, social and, you know, feelings of social ineptness and so forth. So, you know, they feel kind of uncomfortable in their own skin, which is why a lot of them actually pursue. Oh, here comes a, here comes a pizza order. Yeah, um, lost my train of thought. But yeah, you know, so, so they go to such a, a extreme and, um, Oh, yeah, like a lot of them psychologically are kind of like, you know, have a lot of, you know, self-image problems and so forth. And, you know, and that breeds feeling uncomfortable and, you know, in public and that type of thing. So, I think um, it doesn't, it doesn't, stre- think- it doesn't, it doesn't stretch to me the idea that, you know, recreational drugs can enter into that. Cause I mean, let's f- face it again, even outside of the sports realm, most people, I think, and this is again, I'm not somebody who's ever been drunk or anything, but I think a lot of people, who do that is for, you know, feelings of social inadequacy or ineptness, you know, and it kind of blocks that whole thing. I mean, in a lot well, of guys... I was just going to say, I think there are two kinds of guys here. I think I think the use of some of these things, some guys sort of try to keep this in the constructive uh, phase, you know, or outlook, and some of them maybe it, it sort of leads to destructive. I think the recreational drugs definitely start to lean into the destructive category, uh, I do think there's, I mean, you could probably think of certain bodybuilders, and again, there may be dirt on them that I don't know in the past. I, I mean, I think about guys like Lee Labrada, who, who certainly always seemed very clean-cut and constructive, you know, with what he was doing. And I'm not saying he was on or not, but I mean, let's not be naive, you know, at that level, of course. Um, but anyway, I think there are guys like that that seem to keep a handle on things, whereas there are guys who clearly cannot. I mean, I remember sitting in a bar with two guys, they were guest posers at an event, um, Oh, maybe 10 years ago, but these are guys that listeners would certainly recognize. And, you know, they were, they were riding high on, on, I'm not even, I'm not going to go into details, but, uh, on a recreational drug. And I'm like, wow, I really don't want to be a part of that. Um, and again, I don't want to sound holier than thou, because again, when I look at this, this paper, I, it almost seems like, um, you know, they're sort of jumping on the bandwagon. Let's, let's point fingers at how negative and dirty, uh, you know, users are. Um, so, well, I mean, for example, even the, the history of sexual abuse being two to three times higher. Um, I don't know. It just makes me immediately think about validity issues when they're asking mm-hmm. guys from boards about this. Phil, let me ask you, what do you think about the 11, 11 different performance enhancing agents in their back? <laughs> That's a lot. I, I'd that like to know what they're talking. Yeah, and what do they call them? Performance-changing agents. I mean, are we talking caffeine in that as well, and protein powder? I mean, maybe if you're adding in stuff like that. But eleven things. I mean, like, oh, that's. I mean, I my that's complex. It's very complex. I mean, I, I've spent more than a small amount of time around around people that uh, are doing such things, and oh, I couldn't imagine eleven. 
You know, I mean, even yeah. some of the, the the pro bodybuilders I was around mm-hmm. in Thailand and stuff, where it's, it, I mean, that's why they go there. I don't think I ever heard anything near eleven. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. it, it, you know, it, it doesn't just seem um, high; it seems unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think most of, if you were to pull honestly some, you know, very huge powerlifters and bodybuilders, I think you'd yeah. be hard pressed to to get an average of eleven. No, like you said, unless, yeah. unless that included literally, they ranged all the way down to ibuprofen. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking it'd be more like two or three average. Yeah, what, you know, I mean, but uh, insane amounts, you know, huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. geez, that just sounds like work. <laughs> Trying to remember to take eleven different things, but uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I have a hard time to remember to take my fish oil. Um. Yeah, and back to the other, I think, I think, uh, like you were hitting on constructive versus destructive. I think you've got two different populations too in the, let's, let's say bodybuilder realm versus strength sports realm. I don't know. I, I've been around in, in, in both from, from the days when I've worked in the industry and I think you see a lot more, like, like Rob was hitting on, you see a lot more, um, issues with, self-image and stuff like that in the bodybuilding realm. you got people with a lot more mental issues and things, and they're facing... Most of the people I know in strength sports are pretty easygoing people. You know, and they're pretty... They're pretty self-aware and, and not full of themselves, but self-confident, and, you know, uh, you don't face as many of those issues. Now, I mean, yeah, I've seen... I've seen abuse of recreational drugs in... In the sports realm, and I mean, we hear about it all the time, especially at the pro level and baseball, football, this and that. I think there's a lot of it. You know, I was dealing with some NBA stuff and saw some agents on that end, and they're like, "Yeah, everybody smokes pot, everybody." Um, and you know, the person we were helping, that, that was his big deal. And it's like, but uh, yeah, I don't know if they go hand in hand. I guess, like Rob was saying, it's once you've taken, you've went one way, you can. It's easier to, it's easier to keep going. You know, you've already passed that. You right. stepped over the line, so it's easier to keep stepping. You know, and uh, Phil, I think that line is when guys start to define pharmacy as pharmacy, like it's all the same. They, yeah. It's no longer recovery, training yeah. support, you know, yeah. those sorts of things, and they just start defining it all in one block, and then mm-hmm. it becomes that slippery slope. That and that's where I think you see a little difference in the sports realm. Because it's more, it's it's honestly less about what you look like. I think is a big part of it, and and less self-absorbed than in 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 strength sports, and sports in general. It's more about what what I can do, what what I can take to to make me recover and perform better, and this and that, than it is right. Than it is yeah, something almost almost by definition, the body image is just not in both the yeah. body image disorder of any kind. Yeah. You know? Anyway, I just thought that was interesting, and like I said, it really, I know that's a very edgy topic, but, uh, you know, I mean, they look at 506, uh, apparently, uh, guys of mean age 29 years, I guess, and so over 700 non-users, apparently. Um, so, anyway, I have, despite all the statistics and, and all that sort of thing, I sure hope that they somehow got to the honesty issue. I don't know how you would validate whether these guys were being honest or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just knowing what guys on internet discussion boards purposely do. Like I said, trolling is a common word for a reason. You know? Yeah, I mean... The first... Inflammatory things just to get a rise out of you. 
I first think, thing I think that comes to a lot of those guys doing that. You know, talk about, oh, yeah, I was sexually abused. I am right now, you know, and yeah. laughing about it with their buddies later or something. I don't exactly. know. Exactly. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind to me is, like, those little surveys they passed around in, in middle school and high school about, don't have you used this? Have you used that? You know, the little drug drug surveys and stuff. And hell, everybody You know lied. what? That's interesting, Phil, that you say <laughs> you that know? because... I I I have actually had some friends who are physicians, and they love to they love to put out data about the prevalence of uh, anabolic use among high school kids. And again, you know, it'd be very hard to get a valid marker of that because oh. the numbers usually look sort of high to me. Yeah. You know, um, you know, if you're getting the double digit percentages among high school kids, that's really hard for me to believe. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe I, I I'm an N of one. You know, maybe my personal yeah. background. It's not reflective, but yeah. I can't help but think sometimes these kids are just, if it's anonymous questionnaires and they just got handed yes. out in the class, I can see these guys, snicker, the big guys snickering in the back of the class. You know, they're not on anything, but they're just going to say they are. You know, exactly. know. They talk about it with all their friends. Oh, yeah, I remember those little surveys when I was 14 and 15. We'd lie our butts off, you know. Sure, I use crack every day, you know, and whatever. Right, exactly. It, it's just a limitation, I guess, of that yeah. kind of research, you know. So. Okay, now you had a study, too, just changing gears. You had a study that you thought seemed a little bit off. Yeah, and there's there's been a lot of talk about it on Facebook lately. And the, the, the title of the study, it came out, what's what's it in here? Um, well, they, they wrote about it in the Atlantic, so it's a newspaper, but it was, where was it posted? It's just an abstract I got up here. Anyways, it's called, uh, Eggs are nearly as bad for you as your arteries as cigarettes. Wow. Um, yeah, and uh, it was some Canadian researchers um, and patients from London's Health Sciences Center, University Hospital, um, 1,231 patients. And the results were the aging was associated with a linear increase in arterial plaque after the age of 40, but smoking and egg, age consumption were each independently associated with an exponential increase in plaque. Egg consumption had two-thirds of the effect of smoking. Um, wow. Yeah, so there's a bunch of people coming on. They've been kind of like blowing holes in this study about how how kind of bad it was um, on several several areas. I mean, number one, I think the test group, um, it's even stated in there, they didn't use healthy subjects. So all their subjects had had uh, heart attacks or strokes. <laughs> um, so they had an existing problem. Um, and then they didn't, they didn't, bother to look at any other consumption besides eggs. Um, so it didn't matter what else these people were eating. Um, they didn't keep any track of exercise. Um, and the data was all collected. Uh, just they gave them sheets of paper and they were handing them in by themselves. So there was no real... Uh, it was just an observational study. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. Um, it just... I just don't see it, um, and a lot of people are questioning it. Um, there's, there's yeah, and I'll tell you, I think that's one of the things that and we've touched upon before in, on this show, but is observational studies, especially the big epidemiological studies, mm-hmm. that say, oh, there, there tends to be a relationship between eggs and arterial plaque, for example. Yeah. That's not cause and effect, like you were saying. There's a lot of other control issues there. Now, mathematically, statistically, they can adjust, they can adjust quite a bit, and they can get quite a lot out of it, but it's never really going to be cause and effect, and that's what irks me about uh, some of these science journalists in the evening news and stuff. In fact, I think Lane Norton was talking about that uh, months ago when he was on it. That's one of his keys as well, mm-hmm. which is 
you know, the news presents this stuff as cause and effect when it's, it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's not. Exactly. I mean, and it goes on in there that somehow also the individuals with the highest amount of egg intake, which were kind of outliers, but they had the highest amount of intake, also had the lowest cholesterol levels and the lowest BMI. <laughs> so, but then the, the, you break it down to the averages and, and it ended up they had more plaque. So it's like, there's just, just a lot of holes in there and people are, uh, it's just amazing that this thing's pushed out then in the, the media's grabbed the hold of it is, is what's happened. And, and they're blowing it up again and, and making eggs this bad. You know, you might as well go smoke a pack of cigarettes if you're going to have two eggs a day. So, wow. um, type of thing. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I thought we were finally graduated past that. I mean, because I know. of all the, all the kind of, you know, the functional, functional food aspects. Exactly. Um, I mean, eggs were I finally mean, getting a good word. All the way back, even in 2000, I remember Liz Applegate had a paper. Um, she's a noted exercise physiology sports nutrition person and, it was all about all the, you know, how nutrient-rich eggs were, how they're functional foods. I think there was a paper just recently I read. I'm sure there was. I don't have the author's name on top of my tongue, but about um, the antioxidants in egg yolks, especially uncooked, are very powerful. Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, I, it's hard for me to put two and two together. Certainly there are worse things people could be doing than, you know, than consuming eggs every day yeah. or every other day. Um, and, I mean, then there's been the latest, I mean, is all the studies saying, you know, your dietary cholesterol has little to do with your with your blood cholesterol. Um, right. Yep. So. Yeah, the, the, the association is very, very weak, actually. Yeah. So much so that some Canadian authorities, they don't even put that, uh, like the American Heart Association has that 300 milligrams or less per day of, mm-hmm. you know, dietary cholesterol. And, I mean... Not all Canadian authorities, but some of the major ones have actually poo-pooed that and said, you know, the evidence is too weak. We're not going to tell people to watch their cholesterol because, of course, that's a train wreck because there's lots of low-fat, you know, very healthy foods. In fact, most meats actually have similar amounts of cholesterol, mm-hmm. uh, not not identical, but similar. And so when you're trying to avoid the, the cholesterol instead of stuff like greasy, fast food, you know, you're going to be ditching things like shrimp. <laughs> out of your diet, you yeah. know, stupid, just stupid. Yeah. So, I, yeah, we can't focus on some of that stuff. In fact, I had a grad student uh, who we had on the show ages ago, Ben, and he was actually looking at the possible association with cholesterol actually helping with mood and muscle growth. So, you know, yeah. sometimes I think we, we try to single out some of these things and, and bark up the wrong tree, and I start to get worried about some of the impact of the pharmaceutical industry you know, because, mm-hmm. of course, they want everybody on statins all the time. You know, it's almost like a mutual fund for them. Where, yeah. You know, everybody's paying them 30 bucks a month just in case they get heart disease. Yeah. You know, um, even if they don't have it now. And so, again, I'm being a conspiracy theorist, but it does make you wonder. You know? Yeah. No, yeah, and then speaking of statins, there's a big, big things coming out about them now, about how horrible they are and all the... Have you read that? They, they just created a new... Uh, not a disorder, but a new, uh, basically a new disease caused by statins. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Um, they're oh, finding out that it's, it's just causing all kinds of problems. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think early on the whole the focus on statins, at least to me, uh, was you know the cholesterol reduction, reducing yeah. serum cholesterol. That was like the whole deal. And then years later, they started saying, oh, these you know these it's not so much just that they have. 
uh, other qualities, mm-hmm. you know, that may actually be the reason for reduced cardiac risk and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, especially because uh, at least some of them are heart and liver. You know, it, it's hard for me to say, oh, as a, you know, as a 40-year-old guy, I'm going to go start popping statins just in case I might one day get cardiovascular disease. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Uh, I have one other uh, little thing. Just I just got it in the mail this morning, so I'm going to mention it. Uh, the Strength and Conditioning Journal for August showed up, and... Um, Actually, my paper's in here. Hooray. Um, it's Dietary Protein and Strength Athletes. And we actually talk about eggs in here and, you know, compare them a little bit with whey and casein and soy and things like that. Um, but anyway, it's a cool paper. Uh, if anybody's interested, you can actually, if you're a strength coach, you can get continuing ed credits if you go on nsca-cc.org uh, and poke around for their CEU section. You can get continuing ed credits to get a little quiz about this. So... Uh, I don't know, it, it, it's sort of a, a, a mini version in some way and an extension. There's some new stuff here, of course, as well, of the protein book that we advertise at the end of the show. Uh, and, you know, and what I try to do really is especially put in some practical pros and cons of supplements versus whole foods, you know, because there's a whole list of things. And, and I think convenience is one of the things that we can't overlook about supplements. Uh, supplements often get negative sort of views by the, you know, academic world. And I think convenience is huge because how many how many kinds of protein can you tote around with you all day and it doesn't spoil in about four hours? Mm-hmm. Not many. And powders and, and bars are actually one way to do that. And I can't tell you how many like football players and collegiate level and that sort of thing that I've worked with that skipped meals and you know something portable that didn't spoil would just be huge for them. So there's there's some practical tips in there as well. Uh, so that's what I've got. Let's. Uh, if you guys are up for it, let's uh, let's take a break. Okay. And then and then when we come back, we'll uh, Rob, you can set us up with the other listener mail. Yes, sir. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob. I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes... We are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right. 
Let's see here. This is from Gina Melnick, and I, I sent a response to her today. Uh, I believe she sent her email today anyway, telling her that, because originally we didn't think you were going to be on, of course, Lonnie, so... You're the more uh, educated about these types of things, so I told her we would deal with it at some point. As it turns out, now you're on, and after the response I sent her, I guess it's uh, so, Gina, here we are. She's a member of the Iron Radio Sisterhood. Raw, raw. Awesome. I actually respond to her that uh, we actually, I don't hear very many communications from the female listeners, so that's very cool. Anyway, proud. Yes, she's five weeks pregnant. Congratulations from myself, I'm sure, my co-hosts, and the rest of the listenership. Um, anyway, she has a real long letter here about... Uh, she's a strong woman. She commutes in strong man. Uh, she's been lifting, I believe, for seven years. She's been training for seven years and for three years, and, I play, and she placed third in her weight class at the Nationals last year, so she's doing quite well. Congratulations on that, too. Anyway, um, she's been going back and forth as far as... Uh, what what she should and should not do in regards to her her regular routine and training for a strongman. Um, yeah, and she's gotten conflicting opinions from healthcare professionals. One person saying, "Are you mad? Don't do anything." Another one saying, "Yeah, keep going. Just don't push too hard." Um, my response to her, um, if I can, or I don't even know if I still have the. Uh, let me see. I'll say exactly what I told her, and then you can uh, add on to that, Lonnie, which I'm sure you were. Um, yes, continue to lift, but as you yourself know, at least partially instinctively, I don't know if that's so true, but I, I believe probably a mother certainly has maybe an inkling of instinct, instinctive nature towards not you know, doing certain things when she's pregnant. I said just tone down the percentages uh, and be careful not to quote-unquote pressurize yourself too intensely. Uh, and I said, I know you, you know what I mean. Um, if something feels wrong or unwise, be smart and back off. Remember that little dude or dudette hanging out in your belly might not dig the strain. Um, if it were me, I would prioritize technique, motor pathway practice, and program refinement. Um, I said, as an accomplished strength athlete, she, she knows her body, um, and you also know intimately that pregnancy is not something to trivialize. So I said, I hope this helps in some way. Anyway, as I said, you are on the show, Lonnie, and I'm sure you have a lot more to say about this than I do because I just said everything I pretty much know. So what do you think? Well, yeah, I am um, no expert on lifting and pregnancy, but honestly, I don't think anyone is. I actually talked to some colleagues and got some information today, and I, I pulled a couple of papers. Uh, let me, I'll start at the end. Here's my summary of what I know, at least. Um, what I think is probable from the scientific literature and you know medical resources is that the period of gestation probably affects the kind of training results that will occur to you and the infant. So, training first trimester versus in the middle versus at the end, probably slightly different effects. Uh, the other thing that uh, I gather from this is sort of what you were saying, Rob, which is moderate intensity, like 40 to 60 percent uh, of intensity resistance exercise is almost certainly okay. It's probably okay. Uh, now, of course, that, you know, there's going to be certain things to get dizzy if, if things are uncomfortable, if you've had prior issues. Uh, with hypertension or any, you know, other kinds of things, then, you know, obviously that's not going to be as okay. But moderate exercise is probably okay based on the literature. What's debatable right now is whether or not exercise 
can help prevent gestational diabetes. Uh, some women get, you know, temporary uh, high blood sugar and uh, temporary kind of diabetes when they're pregnant. It goes away when they're done, but it leaves them at higher risk for uh, real diabetes, if you will, type 2 diabetes later in life. So it's, it's actually debatable whether or not exercise helps with that or not. It, it's, it's probable, but debatable. Uh, other debates are whether or not a, a lifting or exercise during pregnancy could, could affect or decrease birth size of the infant, um, or whether it affects uh, preeclampsia. Uh, if, if listeners, if you're not familiar, preeclampsia, and again, I'm, not, I'm no expert on this, but it's essentially a disease of the placenta. And if you get on WebMD, you can see that basically what it, it used to be called toxemia, if people are familiar with that, but um, it can lead to high blood pressure, and I mean, we can, if preeclampsia becomes eclampsia, you can even die from that. Um, if, uh, if that again, it's not to say that, you know, most women who are pregnant end up with gestational diabetes or, or preeclampsia or anything like that. Maybe people that have had previous disorders of some kind or genetic influence, you know, tendency for that. If they already have high blood pressure or kidney disease or something, that could be, you know, an issue, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So probably helpful at a resistance exercise. I will say this. There is more data on aerobic exercise than weight training when it comes to pregnancy. And I'm sure that doesn't surprise either of you guys as co-hosts because every time we talk about this, there seems to be this, you know, lag and catch up where, oh, let's look at the resistance guys as well, you know, um, because it's usually such a focus on the endurance aerobic stuff. Uh, so there's very few papers. I found a case study uh, of a, a woman who lifted seriously, and uh, I found another paper that had 32 women that actually started strength training uh, twice a week for 12 weeks while they were pregnant, but there's just not a ton. I mean, there's really not. So I, I'll tell you what I know from the literature quickly. One is, here's a paper by O'Connor and colleagues. This is um, a 2011 paper. Um, it says potentially adverse symptoms such as dizziness were very infrequent. Only a 2.1% uh, of sessions were affected. Uh, they concluded that low to moderate intensity strength training during pregnancy can be safe and efficacious. Uh, here's another paper. This is Sports Medicine 2010 by Melzer and colleagues. This is a more general review uh, from the National Library of Medicine. Uh, they say maternal benefits include cardiovascular benefits, limited uh, pregnancy weight gain, um, decreased musculoskeletal discomfort, reduced incidence of muscle cramps and lower limb swelling, edema, uh, maybe mood stability. Uh, and they actually go on, I thought this was interesting too in this Melzer paper, fetal benefits can include decreased fat mass of the fetus, uh, improved stress tolerance of the baby, and advanced uh, neurobehavioral maturation. Um, maybe even shorter labor. So it's sort of interesting. There's, there's certainly benefits if you keep it moderate. And then I, I think probably the, um, the coup de grace here is from the American College of Sports Medicine. They actually publish guidelines, and I don't expect all OBGYNs to know this, but um, there's a section in the ACSM guidelines called Exercise Prescription for Healthy Populations. Um, in this case, it's a special population, but here's a couple of things just highlighted from this. First, there's a screening tool. It's done by Canadians, uh, the Canadian Society of Exercise Physiologists. Uh, I've been a member of, of them and, and go up there frequently for their conferences. They're awesome. They actually produce a screening tool that's just like a one-page front and back called the ParMed X for Pregnancy. And I would suggest that any physician, uh, you know, takes a look at this or if you're working with a trainer 
or a coach or whatever, Parmed X for pregnancy. If you just Google that, you could find some stuff. It basically helps you uh, decide how ready you are, uh, you know, to begin or continue uh, with an exercise program. So here's a couple of highlights, other things from the ACSM thing here. Um, pregnant women should avoid exercising in the supine position after the first trimester uh, to ensure that venous obstruction does not occur. So I thought that was interesting. There's no laying on your back uh, after the first trimester. Um, next, uh, pregnant women should avoid performing the Valsalva maneuver during exercise. And Fortress, that's exactly what she told her, which is essentially don't pressurize, don't hold your breath and kind of, you know, that, you know, bear down kind of thing. That's generally just not to do too much of that. Well, obviously you're going to be doing the Valsalva maneuver if you're lifting anything too heavy, so that almost limits you right there. You know, if you're going to be breathing gently, you know, and not bearing down and holding your breath, then you're probably not going to be lifting super intensely. But anyway, um, pregnant women uh, can certainly participate in strength training programs. They suggest as moderate intensity, something like 12 to 15 repetitions, not to do too much of it during the week, I think two to three times during the week. Um, and then they, they talk about after pregnancy, the postpartum period, that uh, women can begin training uh, four to six weeks after delivery. Now, I know a lot of hardcore women are going to do it before that probably, but they suggest four to six weeks. And I'm going to finish with one little nutritional tidbit. Um, just remember that during pregnancy, the metabolic demand is going to increase like 300 calories a day, okay, 300 kcal a day. So you've got to eat more. Uh, so that's going to be a metabolic rev up whether you exercise or not. So you're going to have to compensate for that 300 calories a day. You know, some people say eating for two. That's sort of the same thing. But also, you're going to have to eat extra to cover your workout. So uh, just something to remember that you're burning through 300 extra calories a day on top of everything else. There's the whirlwind tour. There you go. I want to add some stuff. I want to add some stuff from not firsthand, I guess, secondhand experience. Yeah, I hope not firsthand. <laughs> no, I'd be in trouble. i got to do the Valsalva maneuver just to get out of a chair. So I'd yeah. be in trouble. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, talking with my wife, who trained all during our little girl's pregnancy, and uh, then being close to Jim Windler and his wife, who just had their kid, um, both trained throughout the pregnancies. Um, there's a neat picture of uh, Juliet Windler. She put up on Facebook of her doing uh, chins on her due date um, with her big old baby belly and whatnot. Um, wow. The biggest thing I've heard from both of them is don't, don't start like don't go and start training when you're pregnant if you didn't do it before. Um, yeah, you know that that was a big one. And then, like you said, I mean, just be smart and listen to your body. Um, I think listening to the whole some of the stuff says like five to twelve pounds, and that's kind of a general thing. I mean, if you're an amazingly strong woman when you started, it's just kind of use something that doesn't have you strain too much, which might be a lot more than five to twelve pounds. You know. Um, but, I mean, both of them were like, yeah, you can train hard. I mean, the, the, we've got pictures of my wife doing jump roping and stuff like that. Um, and she really thinks it helped. I mean, our our little girl came out, like, running from day one. She came out like this freaking gymnast and, uh, um, and used to the loud weights and stuff. But she, she lived her nine months in a gym. Uh, my wife was a trainer the whole time that, that she was pregnant and, and pretty much lived in the gym daily. Well, you know, Phil, that Melzer study did say, you know, advanced neurobehavioral maturation. Yeah. And they, so, you know, in other words, they're further along. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. My little girl still amazes us every day. I mean, she runs around 
she can run circles around other kids that are four years old. Um, but that's also then since birth she's lived in a gym. So, um, but I, I think the big one was just you can go hard, but just don't go real hard. And be smart. If something seems stupid, if something doesn't feel right, back off. You know, don't, it's not the time to push it. And the main thing is push. Try to maintain. Don't get pregnant and then I'm going to go for a PR. You know, try to push so hard to get PRs. Yeah, Do as well you as know, you can. That's right. You know, I can't help but think. I mean, what? <laughs> what's your goal? You know, yeah. I mean, if you're if if you find yourself pregnant, I don't think the goal should be to compete in the in the World Games. Yeah. <laughs> six months from now. You know, it, it should be like Rob said. You know, you could take a, a meso cycle and work on technique and other things, and certainly maintain. And just try to maintain as much as you can to where you come out. You're not, you know, four steps behind. Um, right. And you know, it's just eat right and, and be active. I think you're seeing a lot more people now that are that are training and, and being active during pregnancy. And it doesn't mean it's it's not the end of the world. I think a lot of women get it wrong and they take the whole "you're eating for two" thing a little too big, and. Uh, and they just sit down and don't do anything. And I'm not thinking that's helping the babies at all. Um, it's, you know, get out there and work hard, but work within your limits, well within your limits. You know, if, if you're doing if you're doing something that you could do for, I don't know, 10 reps, cut it down to sets of five, you know, and you can just do multiple sets of five, you know, and things like that. And look, right. look to maintain as much as you can. And, I mean, my, my wife came out and she was... stayed out of the gym for about a week and a half after pregnancy, and she was back in there doing it, you know, and she was in great shape follow it. So. Well, I can tell you, I think if there's one thing that's also probable from the literature I'm talking about, stuff like, you know, moderate resistance exercises is, uh, you know, generally um, put out there as good. Um, I think it's almost like the whole uh, cardiac rehab thing. You know, they used to tell people, bed rest, don't move, you know, just, you know, lay there, you know, you need, you need your rest. And, and I think more and more intense kinds of exercise are becoming embraced across some of these different, you know, situations, whether it's cardiac rehab or pregnancy or whatever. I'm not saying, you know, go to go for a, you know, one rep max PR in the squad or something like yeah. that in your, your third trimester. But I, I think a little bit more intense uh, kinds of exercise is certainly, you know, more more uh, acceptable than it used to be. You know, yeah. there's obvious things, too. I mean, if you've got pre-existing conditions like diabetes or anemia or something, BACSM, you know, is going to warn you against that. Obvious stuff, like, don't go into an un, a non-air-conditioned gym, you know, when it's, and you're going to just overheat badly, that, or, or do some, like, high-impact thing, or, or perform uh, something where you could fall down, you know, and, and yeah. or, you know, these are, these should seem fairly obvious. You're not going to go, you know, play a game of full-contact football, or, you know, in the heat. <laughs> Yeah. And stuff like that, or trains through extreme dizziness or anything like that. So I think a lot of this is, to me, probably common sense. But yeah. I know not a lot of people, you know, consider all these things common sense. Probably not the best time to try and perfect your clean and jerk when you have a big baby belly in the way. You know, things like that's that. right. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, you know, that's a good point. Yeah, the physical, your your physical dimensions, you're round. Yeah. <laughs> you know, eventually. Yeah. Exactly. So. So that's going to be different. And, and in fact, one paper that I was looking at. I think it's another ACSM paper. They were talking about how some women, you know, they might just be more comfortable with stuff like a belly band or, you know, some extra breast support or something like that. Well, yeah, your boobs get big. I guess you're going to have to do that. You know what I mean? You might feel more comfortable with some kind of support. So uh, whether it's dress or thermoregulation or, you know, not doing high 
you know, physical impact stuff. I mean, these kinds of things should be pretty clear. I mean, if your baby's moving a lot and then all of a sudden it doesn't or you, you get swollen ankles, your face swells up or any kind of, you know, these are not normal things. You should call your doctor. I mean, when my wife was pregnant, um, she didn't lift. She was, you know, just basically I was just pushing her to eat more. She's not a real big person. Um, you know, she was physically active. But, you know, and I, I, we just leaned on the on the OBGYN. I mean, you know, the physician is the expert. So anything weird happens, call them. You yeah. know, you, you got questions about how to eat, need to eat more, uh, then great. If not, you know, and, and there's stuff like fish oils. Definitely bring that up because that helps with baby's uh, development. I think a big one is just use common sense. If you're questioning, man, should I really be doing this? You probably shouldn't. <laughs> you know, if you're right. uncomfortable doing it, then just don't. It's not the, it's nine months from now, you can do it again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, exactly. Um, well, that's kind of what I was getting at. I mean, I mean, what's your goal? You know, yeah. your goal, that's a life event, you know, uh, like any other. And so I think at that point, it's time to adjust. I mean, if you were about to prepare for the World Games or the Olympics or something, you know, or a huge meet, maybe, you know, that's just, you say, listen, I, I'm going to have to do that next year, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, hey, I'm going to throw, throw out one last very weird thing. Have you guys ever heard of pregnancy doping? I kid you not. There no. is some, in some old textbooks, there's data on pregnancy doping, and it's so, sort of similar to blood doping, but it's, or hormonal doping, but the idea would be that some of the ch- physical changes that happen during pregnancy could be advantageous to high-level athletes. And there was actually concern about certain women at, like, sort of the Olympic or world level becoming pregnant to get an athletic advantage. Can you Really? Uh, absolutely bizarre, and I'm going to leave it at that because I don't know the details about it, but if people want to dig around online, I think you'd be shocked by some of that. I mean, I can't imagine someone getting pregnant to you know perform at a sport and then not want to have the baby or something. You know what I mean? That's just blasphemous, but, uh, you know, and sort of unethical. But anyway, yeah, pregnancy doping, very weird thing that you'll see in certain ergogenic aid textbooks, some of the old stuff, so weird stuff. Sounds very Bulgarian to me. It's yes, it, it, to me too. <laughs> yes, it is. Nothing is Bulgarian, but you know, yeah, Eastern Bloc, extreme. Yeah. yeah here's one yeah. right here. I just looked one up. Olympic athletes getting pregnant and aborting to boost performance. Oof. Wow. Wow. Chris, Rob, what, what, if I can ask you, what was the what was the listener's name again? Gina. Gina. Yeah, I think she's right in saying she's in, you know, there's not a lot of data. Like I said, I found one small paper from 2011. I found a case study from 2012. You know, a lot of the guidelines suggest moderate intensity. But, you know, as somebody who's a, who's a serious lifter, you know, I, I do think, like Bill said, you know, she, she's got enough momentum and physical adaptations already that it's going to be much less stressful for her to continue some level of what she's been doing compared to a woman who's never trained before and decides she wants to be a powerlifter all of a sudden, you know, while she's pregnant, you know, but I, I think she's in uncharted territory in a lot of ways. A lot of this stuff is getting documented only now, and uh, hopefully her physician isn't going to, you know, just say, just bed rest, you're pregnant, bed rest, because that's probably not the best choice for most no. Cool. 
get out there and squat and deadlift and press. Keep it within your your, your means. Stay away yeah, from the and dope. you know what? Not being women, we all need to acknowledge it too. I mean, I, I would I would probably think that in the first trimester before there's much weight gain or anything else, you may not feel that different in some ways. Yeah. Certainly, physically, you might not feel that different. But later, when you get big, man, that's going to be uncomfortable. And you know what I mean. Um, in fact, in the one paper I was talking about with the 12 ladies, I think there was 80% compliance. That means one out of every five sessions, basically, you know, 20%. There was non-compliance. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't blame them. You know what I mean? No. Like I said, as, as men, we we certainly can't. Anything along those lines, I think men, we're just so not built for that. We totally were, it, by comparison, such wussies. <laughs> yeah. We can't take it. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, lots of credit to women who can continue to exercise the whole way through on some level. For sure. All right. Well, that's all I've got, guys. That's all I got. Yeah. All so, right. Well, until when right. are we? When are we going to pick the uh, winners for that uh, recent contest? Next week, maybe. Oh, good point. Uh, I just saw another ad for that movie. So yeah, we're going to run that through the end of the month. Actually, let's wait till the end of the month. Uh, all right. And for people who are just tuning in, you didn't need to hear last week. We're just looking for get on our Facebook page. We're looking for three people from the Expendables 2 film, uh, three of the muscly action heroes, and then we want you to just also list three, you know, much smaller sort of wissified action heroes from the uh, recent era, the last five years, let's say. Uh, And that's all you got to do. Give us, you know, three of the muscly guys, three of the not-so-muscly guys, uh, and that's your entry on our Facebook page, and then you can win some cool uh, action so. I got I'll give one more shout out since we got a couple minutes here. Just a reminder that um, September 15th through the 16th, I'm going to be up in California, Northern California, Hercules, California, giving a seminar, two days. So if anybody's interested, there's still a few spots left. Um, we're going to go over the basic power lifts the first day and uh, back squat, bench press, deadlift. Um, and then day two is going to be all about Olympic lifting. So you get. Two full days of me, it'd be great. But uh, total, total, total <laughs> of, exactly total of fifty people, and I'm gonna have a couple. Uh, I know a lot of people in the area. I'm gonna have a, uh, at least one um, helper with me to manage fifty people. But it'll be a good time. So uh, if you're interested, drop me a line on Facebook or whatever, and I can give you the link to where it's at. So cool. Um, you know what? I'm gonna finish with one last other thing too. I saw that Arnold's got two new movies coming out. Schwarzenegger. And really? I don't mean the Expendables, right? Rob, do you know what it's called? There's, well, I guess well the Expendables coming out in January. No, I don't actually. I know the Expendables. I think opens up tomorrow, and at least in Canada, I think it does. But yeah, I don't yeah. know. Total, total side thing. I just, you just remind me of something. I heard that Harrison Ford, um, Clint Eastwood, and Nicolas Cage have been tapped for at least cameos in Expendables three. No. Anyway, that's a, yeah, that's a side note. Anyway, how about that? All right. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to flesh this out in the future. It looks like, yeah, it looks like the author, you know, Oak is uh, making his uh, cinematic comeback. Maybe he's done with the politics for a while because it didn't, it didn't carry into the presidency. Yeah. Like he's probably old. <laughs> yeah. So. All right, guys. Well, we'll, no, we'll, we'll catch up more next week. Yeah. Have a good week, everybody.
Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state of the art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however. Obviously, I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.